double digits, baby. We have reached episode number 10 of The Pitch. And for some things like these, like a 10th episode, a 50th episode, someone does something special, but maybe it's just, I'm just happy to get here. So let's just, let's just take it easy today. Just another old episode of The Pitch, baseball, soccer, hot take with a little bit of basketball in today's hot take. And it's not going to be one that many people like. Hence why the take is pretty hot. Episode number 10, back into double digits of the pitch. Let's get it, baby. Intro music. Let's get it started. Let's play some ball on episode number 10 of the pitch. And we're going to start off with my MLB predictions with the baseball season just about to get underway. I have only really talked about my pinstripes, my boys, my New York Yankees. So let's get a little bit, um, a little bit more expansive now. And um, let's actually, let's actually talk holistically and let's talk about the league a little bit. So we're going to start in the AL East. I'll give my predictions and I will also uh, to let you know, give my uh, my playoff predictions as well. Now, we'll start in the AL East. Of course, I believe my boys are taking it back from the Rays. I think my boys, the Yanks, are going to find their 2019 form again and take back the AL East crown from those, from those loathed Tampa Bay Rays. I cannot stand them. I think they will finish third place. And finishing in second will be the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't think many people are given enough credit. I think I said this once or twice a few pods ago, but I just, I think people are sleeping on the Jays. I'm very, very high on them this year. I think the Yankees will win it comfortably. I think it'll be about a five to 10 game cushion, but closer to five than 10 because they've got Ryu. They've got Tanner Roark. I believe Tanner Roark is going to be, um, is going to be an underrated piece in Toronto. Steven Matz, I know hasn't hit the heights that he wanted to on the other side of New York and Queens. But once again, I think that this is, especially with the firepower that the offense brings, I don't think that the that the Jays are going to be finishing very far off the Yankees, even though I believe the Bronx Bombers will take home yet another AL East crown. Now over to the AL Central. Give it to those Chicago White Sox, baby. They finished third in the division last year. They will take down the sluggers from the Twin Cities, the Minnesota Twins being carried by their um by their reigning MVP first baseman Jose Abreu. They have Tim Anderson at short. He has been the second best hitter in the American League behind my boy DJ LeMahieu. They've got Liam Hendricks to bolster up the bullpen. They've got and they've also got Lance Lynn. He is rather old, but um he is showing that it doesn't that age is just a number and that he can do it however he wants. Not to mention they've got Lucas Giolito, their ace and right behind him, Dallas Keuchel. So I think the um, I think the Sox will take that one home, and I think the A's moving over to the AL West will take home a second straight uh, division crown, and they will hold off the Astros, and they will hold off everybody else because they have been a very, very quiet team. They have quietly been building, and they have quietly been very successful over these past few seasons. They finally got a little bit of play with um, with their division win last year. But now that they are in a little bit of that position that they can hold a lead, that they can take and hold the lead, I think they will stretch that all the way through 
those full 162 games. Now let's go on over to the National League. The National League East. I've got some Mets fans that'll hate me for it, but I still think that the Atlanta Braves are going to be taking the NL East from the Mets despite their big money summer from their new owner, Steve Cohen. They've got great moves, and I, I believe that the Mets will make the playoffs I mean, handedly, it'll be one of the two wild card spots will be from the uh, from the NL East. I believe that the second place finisher will get the first wild card spot and it'll be a highly and tightly contested division. I believe the Mets will finish just behind between one and five games. They will finish behind the Atlanta Braves now to the most tightly contested division in the in the MLB last season, the NL Central. I think it's going to be the St. Louis Cardinals to pull this one out. Despite the fact that the Cubs just got Jock Peterson and Peterson is making waves, has been making waves in spring training. I think the the acquisition of Nolan Arenado is just a little bit too big. He is the best third baseman in the league. Returning is Yadier Molina, along with Paul Goldschmidt, and not to mention their, their young ace, Jack Flaherty. I think that the um, I think that this is the move that the Cardinals needed to really put them in contention for a World Series. It's going to be great to watch the NL Central play out, though, because I could be I could very well be wrong about that as the Cubs being led still by Chris Bryant. Now, Jock Peterson coming in from the Dodgers. It could be a very, very interesting division. They've also got their former Cy Young winner, Jake Arrieta, back to the Chicago Cubs. Very highly contested division it will be, the NL Central this year. And down on to the NL West, another big money team in the San Diego Padres that will be falling short to reigning champions, the Los Angeles Dodgers. I believe that the Dodgers, the reigning World Series champs, are just, they're just too good. That's all it is. Even though they've lost Jock Peterson to the Cubs, as I just mentioned, they've got too many star names to be letting this one go. Cody Bellinger. Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, they've got name Corey Seager, they've got names all over the field, and it's going to be another tightly contested division for the Dodgers, with the Padres making the, some leeway on them with their new pitchers, Hugh Darvish and Blake Snell, to go along with Manny Machado and the electrifying Fernando Tatis Jr. It's going to be close, but I think these Dodgers have a little bit too much experience to be choking the division this year, and I think that they will handedly win the NL West. Now on to the playoff predictions. I'm not going to go series by series. I'm going to go straight to the AL and NLCS. I will tell you who your champions will be. And I, I know that you guys will think it is a, it's a bit of a New York bias type thing, but I really do think that it, it might finally be the year for my New York Yankees because DJ LeMahieu being back, and even though Luke Voigt has just started, is going to be starting the season on the um, on the IL, if their pitchers can come through for them, and if their X-Factor player, Gary Sanchez, can actually decide to, to show up a little bit because I'm losing a little bit of faith in, in him. I have been for quite some time. If everything can go right, I honestly don't see a team that can slow them down, even it might, it might not be the Twins. I could see the White Sox putting up a little bit of a fight. But I think if the Yankees can take the AL East from the Rays and put the Rays out of playoff contention, I don't think there are going to be many teams who can stop the Yankees in the AL East, actually in the American League as a whole. And in the ALCS, I believe they would beat 
the Chicago White Sox, the winners of the AL Central. I believe the A's are a very good team. They're going to duke it out as hard as they can, but they just don't have that experience just yet. But I think the Yanks will take it from the A's in the, um, in the ALCS and represent the American League in the World Series. Now, I mentioned the fact that Mets fans might hate me, but they might like me a little bit, just a little bit more now. I still think the Dodgers, I mean, I'm going to sound like every, uh, every, every pundit and I'm going to sound like every, every hopeful fan, but I think the Dodgers are going to win it. We've been saying it for years now. Are we finally going to get that New York LA World Series? It might be the year. That's all I'm saying. I think the Dodgers will win it. If the Dodgers do not win it, it, I think it would be the New York Mets, not the Braves, not the Cubs, not the Padres. I don't think this year for any of those teams. If the Dodgers do not win and represent the National League in the World Series, it would be the New York Mets. That is a bold prediction that they would take down the Braves eventually and the Braves would lose. I think the Dodgers could beat the Mets. And in the World Series, that will have depends. A Yankees-Dodgers World Series, I don't even want to predict just to... Just for, just for my own luck's sake, I don't even want to predict that. But boy, how great would it be for the first time since 2000 to have a Subway Series as a World Series. And I could, I could predict to you right now that my boys will take home the Subway Series dub if it ever comes to that. I don't want to predict what would happen in the Yankees-Dodgers, just mainly because I don't, want to, I don't want to jinx anything. But two, I honestly don't even know what would happen. I would just want to sit back and enjoy the series for as long as I can. So that is our baseball section, relatively short baseball section today because we've got baseball tomorrow. At least that's when I'm recording it. So when this comes out, we will have baseball today. And I just want to sit back and enjoy these first few games of the MLB season. And on the next episode of The Pitch, I will be given, I will given, oh, excuse me, can barely talk. Oh my gosh. I'll be giving a first week wrap up of how the Yankees did, what they could be doing better and what I was impressed with. So that is baseball today on the pitch. Now let's switch the play over to soccer. We go from the league level all the way up to the international level. We usually talk about England. Today we are talking about the United States as a whole. Let's switch the play and go on to soccer. Let's do it. Play is switched and let's get it. It is soccer time. And uh, my tone sounds a little bit happier than I am because um, here today on the soccer section, to talk about just one more failure in the program of the U.S. national of the U.S. national team at the uh, at the youth level, it was today is when I record this. Today is Wednesday, so last week, I actually don't even remember what day it was, but it was a day last week where, and I don't even want to remember it to be honest with you either. the uh, The United States, the the U twenty three team, failed to qualify for a third straight Olympic Games. Uh, at the hands of a defeat to Honduras. It was a 2-1 defeat. There was um, very little heart shown in the first half, and uh, it, was, it was a deserved loss, in my opinion. There was um, this, the Honduras team was better, and they will go on to, uh, to, play, to play Mexico in the, I don't even know what the final is of something, I, and I have a feeling it has to do with seeding in the Olympics, but Olympic qualifying, there were... Um, some guys on the the senior national team that were that were 
available to that are age eligible to play for this team. Serginho, Dest, Christian, Pulisic, to name a few. But they were with the national team in Northern Ireland for their friendly in Belfast. So they um they were they relied a lot on the um on some young MLS guys, some young European guys who are fringe players on other teams, and they just couldn't get it done. And and this is this is almost a repeat of of the World Cup miss. And people will argue with me on that because it doesn't matter as much the Olympics. Yikes! If you don't think the Olympics matters too much, so I I listened to a been a sound bit. Of, of Taylor Twellman off of ESPN, and I'm going to reiterate a point that he said. I really agree with this, too. You say, we these young guys, they're U23, they don't know how to win. And look at some other teams. Look at some other teams that are, that are going at it right now. You see the last two Olympic winners. This is where Taylor Twellman's thoughts come in. The last two Olympic gold medal winners, Germany and Brazil. Now, um, what exactly is it about them that um, that strikes you? Oh, yeah, they win everything. Why? Because they get into every single competition they can. Because they want to instill a winning attitude throughout every single program. From the seniors down to the U15s. Down to the U3s, if they have a national team there. Just the fact that we've missed... We've missed now London, we've missed Rio, and now we're going to miss Tokyo. What, is it, what does that mean, that it doesn't matter? Is, that like, is, that, is it better for, for players to be playing for their team than to represent their country? We have a season every year. This flag behind me, this Chelsea FC flag behind me, we're going to keep that blue flag flying high every year. The World Cup is an event that only happens once every four years. The Olympics, once every four years. And that's an, uh, an event big enough to capture the world's attention isn't important enough. The fact that Honduras has made three straight Olympics and the United States has missed three straight Olympics... Why do you think these guys can't win? Because there's no experience. That's why. No gold cup experience because all the all the old wash players were there. No Olympic experience, no World Cup experience. They're just playing friendlies. And look at what happens when there is just a little bit of pressure on the line. And I'll I'll go out fine. It might not be as important as, say, World Cup qualifying, yeah? Fine. And I see why. I get it. But it's still important. It's still a competition. And there is still pressure to win this game. Get into the Olympics. You are on the world stage. And maybe you can surprise some people with the the way you play. Not only that, the best part of getting to the Olympics is instilling a winning culture. This soccer program... The United States men's culture right now, not one level do I feel a winning culture whatsoever. I watch the women up and down, up and down, because they get into every single thing that they can possibly play. Olympics, she believes. I don't think they have a gold cup, but they get in. Of course, they get into 
everything because they're the best team in the world, but they don't take one thing less seriously than another. Everybody's trying to cut the men's slack. Oh, it's fine. There were players missing there. This is the Olympics. Excuses, excuses, excuses. And that's the problem that we make excuses for losses. That is not a winning culture. That is not a winning culture. I mean, excuses for losing to Honduras, who's also on a depleted squad? I mean, what what have we what have we stooped so low to? I mean, what is happening? So there, there's just nothing. There's just no. It doesn't seem like it just feels very bleak right now because what if these U23s were the guys responsible next year for World Cup qualifiers? We're missing Qatar as well. And our chance to shine on the biggest stage in world soccer foiled. We've been over this. This was a deflating loss. I, to me, it's not quite the same, but it was right there on World Cup missing level. I remember that day, and I will never forget that day that we missed the world that we missed out on the World Cup in Trinidad. You know, very, very, very bleak looking. And now this is to add on to this. This was my original. Um, this is my original topic for the day. And um, there was a tweet out today that um, this is a, a bit of this the the feelings of Taylor Twelman. I I have I have just reflected. You can see the uh, his interview on on social media on all the ESPN outlets. Josie Altador tweeted at Taylor Twelman, saying, "Why me?" I'm gonna read the tweet that Josie Altador tweeted. This is um, this is a three part tweet. He says exactly this. He says, and I quote from Twitter: "Taylor Twelman national team career was laughable." Beasley should be that analyst or a Mia Ham. This is a very um, it's a very sarcastically worded tweet. Twelman needs to be on extra time radio with Bobby Warshaw. Stop giving him a platform. And he says, goes on to say that people like him telling millions what he is. He says that that Josie didn't live up to this or that. He and in a um in a he replied to a tweet that says um. He, so uh, somebody tweeted at Josie and said that Taylor Twelman was not going after Josie personally. And he replied to that with, that's fine. My problem is this. I'm not messy or I'm not the best to ever do it for USA or anyone, but I'm sure as hell not a failure. I thrived in a game where it's hard for kids that look like me. I'm, that's, that's him being African-American to strive in the U.S. We don't promote the positive side, only negative. That was Josie Altador's tweet. I actually think he is one of the best to do it first off and he's not giving himself enough credit. I believe that he is, he is one of the very best to do it in U S men's history. Let's just start off with that. I have absolutely nothing but the utmost respect for Josie Altador, but I agree with the tweet that was, that was tweeted at him. Well, the, the positive side and the negative side there is, if, if I'm interpreting this quote correctly, which I think I am, there's no positive side for the future of this national team. 
the only positive thing we've got to look forward to is there is is we're going to be hosting a World Cup in five years. And boy, what all I all I have to say about that is thank God host countries get an automatic bid. Because who knows what would happen? We missed eighteen. The way things look, if the U twenty three can can um if if that mirrors the the senior team success, no Qatar. Though I do not think that that is what's going to happen. I think the men will do just fine, even though that they have they have performed very well against in, inferior opposition. They really have. It's inferior opposition, but they have played very very well. And sometimes that's what you need. You don't even need a good team necessarily. You need you could sometimes need that run of form. And then once you get that confidence, that you can afford to go up against a good team and say, yeah. We found our form early against weaker teams. We know what we can do against you. But there is no positive to this, to this result that we have missed the Olympics for a third straight time. I don't think I'm not going at Taylor Twelman. I, uh, excuse me, at Josie Altador. Taylor Twelman was not going at jo- Josie Altador. He's going at the entirety of this United States program. Because 2018, missing the World Cup there was our wake-up call. It looked like there was considerable progress since then. All of a sudden, we've hit a brick wall by not making this Olympics. We could have seen Pulisic show out at the Olympics had Chelsea let him go. We could have seen Dest show out had Barcelona let him go. We could have seen all these names. And this could have been a real development patch for the side, regardless of what would have happened there. Now, we will never know. We will never know whether or not this could have been developmental. It could have been detrimental. We could have, we could have found our Captain Jackson Yule in that game last week. This could have been his time to bring himself forward and to make a name for himself with that captain's armband on him. But no. So much fallout. You, it looked Even though it looked really bleak when we missed the World Cup in 18, There has been considerable progress, but not enough. Now, nothing but negative fallout from this. You could argue it's worse. Most would disagree with me, but you could argue it's worse. I don't think it is. Some aspects to it are way worse. Because now, they're just going to be sitting at home, playing an MLS, instead instead of fighting for their country and fighting for a gold medal. That's all I've got to say about it. There's no, if, if Altador is talking about how Taylor Twellman isn't speaking positively enough, it's because there isn't enough to speak positive about. That Honduras has made three straight Olympics. How we've missed three straight Olympics. If we want progress, you have to be taking every single thing as seriously as the next. A friendly as serious as a World Cup final. Yeah. Every game means something. Believe it or not, even friendlies mean something. Believe it or not, they do. So it's a real shame that I won't be able to watch my country play at the Olympics this year. And that's all I've got for the soccer section. I'm going to stay on a bit of... um. I'm going to say on a bit of a mad tone here as we go over to today's hot take coming out of the NBA uh, soccer section done. 
And on the flip side, we got the hot take. Here it comes. Time to wrap it up on episode 10 with today's hot take. Now, let me preface this with, I don't watch too much basketball, but I know that the Brooklyn Nets have been, uh, I'd say rather busy in this, this season in the moves that they have made, the signings they have picked up, of course, being James Harden trading for him. They have just signed Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge. I know two aged players, but still definitely not down and out about it. Like I said, I don't watch basketball, but there's a reason for that. And it's teams like the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets, to me, are why I don't watch basketball because there, there is a problem with super teams like them. It takes the competition out of the game. And now this doesn't sound too, too original because I heard Stephen A. Smith talking about this on his show, but I had been thinking this for a while because I haven't watched basketball, at least NBA. I haven't watched religiously in about seven, eight years for this reason. Exactly. It goes back to those days with, with LeBron, D-Wade, and Bosch in, in, in Miami. You just knew what was going to happen. There were, it, it even got to a point where, where teams that were bad enough knew what was going to happen. So they kind of edged their foot off the gas a little bit. Because why try when you already know that the result is inevitable? And I really don't like that. It's a real attitude problem in the NBA because when it's, it's to the point where teams know that they're going to lose, so they don't care. Why? That makes no sense to me. Every game counts, does it not? And I think this is because I think this is coming from the, the point of view of a baseball fan where there are some games where if the Yankees are hosting the Pirates at Yankee Stadium in a three-game set, and the Pirates are already the worst team in the league, and the Yankees are already the best team in the league, then that's a little bit more inevitable too. But it's it's also a thing like 162 games in a season. You could almost say that not every game matters, especially for the Pirates. I mean, the Pirates have nobody's business making the playoffs. They didn't last year. They won't this year, and they won't for the next few years. So why would they put their best foot forward when they could when they could just take their foot off the gas? Again, I feel like that's almost a little bit more acceptable because with the Pirates, they don't have to win the games they have to. But in an 81-game season in the NBA, there are teams not taking themselves as seriously. It's like it's conceding to the it's conceding to that one team. But, and the thing is also in baseball, once you get to the playoffs, there is nothing that is guaranteed. Absolutely nothing is guaranteed once you get to the baseball playoffs because it's so simple for, for Garrett Cole, the best pitcher in baseball, maybe the second best ba- pitcher in baseball right now, depending on who you ask. It is so easy for him to go up on that mound feeling amazing about himself to let up six runs to a high-powered offense such as the Dodgers. Very easy to do that on any given day of the week. Basketball players, on the other hand, I feel like they are set to a little bit different of expectations. You expect LeBron, I don't know the stats off of the top of my head. Frankly, I didn't care enough about the stats to look them up off the top of my head. I would assume that 
LeBron averages between 23, 25 a game. So I would maybe assist wise, I would, I would assume his three stats across the board would go, let's go 23, eight and seven going points, assists, rebounds. And when he doesn't do that, he gets pretty slandered. There, there's a lot of slander going towards him because he is not only the leader of a juggernaut, but he has the, the assets around him in that juggernaut side to be able to provide for him as well. I think basketball is a bit of an easier sport, and I will, I will and to follow up on that, I will, this statement I'm about to say, will nothing can change my mind about it. There is nothing harder in sports at all than to decide in less than half a second whether or not to swing at a slider that is moving away from you and to make good contact on it at 90 miles an hour. There's just absolutely nothing harder than that. So back to the basketball. You already know what's going to happen to about to about the, the NBA finals, depending on the year. The conference finals, may, it would maybe be. Last year could be a good example as to an unpredictable uh, conference finals, conference semifinals. The Heat, yet you assumed wouldn't have made it as far as they did. You would have thought the Bucks would have not gotten knocked out second round. But it's a little, it's, it's different in baseball because it's harder to make a juggernaut of a team. I don't think the Yankees are a powerhouse of a team, despite the amazing names that they have at each and every position. I don't think, I really don't think Voight is a top five first baseman. I think there are four guys better than him. I think LeMahieu, I would say, is the top second, second baseman, as I have preached for numbers and numbers of episodes on this pod. But I don't think Labor Torres is a top five shortstop. I don't think uh, Gio Urshela is a top, I would say he's a top 10 third baseman, not a top five, though, maybe not even top seven. Garrett Cole, probably the best pitcher in the American League. And then behind him, not so much. The Nets and the Lakers, on the other hand, you can argue that at almost every position, they have, uh, they have a top five player. Maybe not so much Griffin or Aldridge, but, I mean, look at the net backcourt. I mean, you could, you could even have KD running the point if, if, if Harden and, and Kyrie were both out. Kyrie, Harden, and KD in the same team is enough. Why do they need to go get more? Like, it, I feel like the Yankees know when to stop at certain points. Like, it's, it's enough, guys, you know? No need to go overkill. I mean, the same with the Lakers. They've got LeBron. They've got AD. Uh, they've got KCP. I don't even know the names they have, frankly. But they, they went, these two teams go all out, and it's much easier to be assembling a juggernaut of a side because there's only five players on an NBA team. Not only that, a guy like LeBron compared to a guy like Garrett Cole has so much more pull over an NBA game than Garrett Cole does an MLB game. The guy with the most control of an MLB game is the pitcher. But I don't think that there is one pitcher good enough, not even Cole or Jacob DeGrom of the Mets. Neither of them two, the top two pitchers in the league, by the way, are good enough to dictate a game the way LeBron does or KD does a basketball game. It's just, this game, 
of baseball is more based is less, excuse me, based on an individual than it is than it is the team. It is a more team sport baseball is than basketball. So to get to the point, if you have enough good individuals at this sport of basketball, if you combine them, it's like it's like setting up the Avengers of basketball. You've got the you've got the whole team. You've got Captain America. You've got you got. It's so funny that I can barely even name any of the Avengers, but you have set up a super squad of players to the point where where that where the results are going to be inevitable. Everybody can argue with me and say that the Sixers, especially around here, that the Sixers could um could give the Nets a run for their money. No, they can't. They cannot give the Nets a run for their money. They cannot give a healthy KD, a healthy Kyrie, and a healthy Harden a run for their money. No, they absolutely cannot do that. Too many individuals on this this Nets team that can dictate a game. I think LeBron and KD can dictate the tempo of a basketball game the best, and I barely even watch basketball, and I know that. But then you've also got four more guys other than KD who could be leaders on different teams, but they're all together. It's It takes all the competition out. You know who they're going to just – it doesn't matter. The eight seed has no, has no chance against the Nets because the Nets will be the number one seed. They're not now, but they will be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference at the end of this season. They've got 30-something games left in this abbreviated schedule. I don't see the Nets losing more than 10 games. And the Sixers are good in their own right. No disrespect to the Sixers. I just don't think they have a shot against the Nets, especially with with KD's experience in the playoffs. Guy is cold-blooded he was for the Warriors. And it was around then, getting back to that, running a little bit over time on on this hot takes section, but... It started with with the big three in South Beach, but then four years in a row, three, four years in a row with the Cavs and the Warriors? Come on, where's the fun in that? Even worse about that, everyone saw it coming. We no, no, no TV analyst went on went on ESPN and was like, Well, yeah. I mean, you would think that the Warriors you, nobody said basically that no one mentioned that the anyone was gonna give the Warriors or the Cavs a run for their money in the Western and the Eastern Conference, respectively. So what's the point in watching until the finals? You know what's going to happen, and I know what's going to happen. Everybody thinks they know what's going to happen. I think I know what's going to happen. I think it's going to be Nets-Lakers in the finals. I don't think Utah will be really taking down the Lakers because LeBron's experience, AD, doesn't have much. But LeBron, as I mentioned, has enough pull on a game that his experience alone, that's how elite he is, can dismantle that Utah roster that is better than the Lakers currently. I don't think anybody stands a chance against those two. And it's and it's why the NBA, to me, is just such a boring sport, because there's no competition in it. Everybody takes their game down a level if they're playing the Nets, because they know that they're about to lose. And it's a mindset thing that it's arrogance that could get in the Nets' way. That is what would make the Nets or the Lakers lose is arrogance. If they think that they are better and they play down to a team's level, that will cause them to lose. But whereas there's no more, no more fun for the teams like the Knicks, 
I mean, look at them. They're playing great basketball right now. Randall leading the way as an all-star now. You would have thought that this could have been their year. Not with the Nets in front of them. It might be fun to have a little bit of playoff basketball between two New York teams, but you know who's coming out on top. How is Julius Randle and Obi Toppin going to be Blake Griffin and Kevin Durant? That's not going to happen. And it's just the inevitability of basketball and the unpredictability of baseball. I thought the Yankees were going to beat the Rays last year. In the, um, I thought the Yankees were going to beat the Rays in, in the ALDS. It was a devastating day when the Rays beat us. It's just so unpredictable in baseball because it's not as easy. That's what it is. But there's just no fun in super teams to there are there is fun in them but when it's when it's two teams to the to the extent that the Cavs and the Warriors were to the extent that the Lakers and the Nets currently are then no because now with one team if it was just the Nets then everyone could be like yeah well it's kind of like it's kind of like the Yankees in baseball everybody likes to root against the Yankees so do that and then it's interesting to see who the Nets could come up against in the conference finals or in the finals against somebody from the West. But now it's two. And now all everybody wants to talk about is let's get this Lakers-Nets final. No, nobody roots for Goliath unless you're a Yankee fan like me. So it's a little bit annoying, and that's what my problem is with basketball. I haven't watched so I haven't watched basketball in a while, and you, you just don't need to be this elite player to be a a real game changer. LeBron, KD, elite game-changing players. Hall of Famers, of course, that's needless to say. You could even argue a healthy KD is better than a healthy LeBron. You don't need to be this superstar to to change the game. But when you have enough superstars and enough game-changers, it takes the competition out, and there's no fun in seeing who can beat you. That's what it is. Expectations are lower in basketball, of course. Well, comparatively to baseball, I think it's easier for a basketball player to go out and put up a triple double, especially if you're KD or LeBron, than it is for what Chris Sale did a few years ago. He had a certain number of starts in a row. He struck out 10 straight, not 10 straight, that he just struck out 10 batters. He had a, a long streak. I don't know it off the top of my head, but. It's much harder for an MLB pitcher to strike out 10 players in in two consecutive games, never mind more than what more than two, than it is for somebody to go out and record even a double-double or a triple-double in basketball. It's just the power struggle is what is losing the competitive edge in the NBA. And that is my problem. And my hot take, if I haven't, if it isn't clear, is super teams are the reason that I that I personally do not like the NBA because of the lack of competitive edge. And that, folks, after a long hot take, goodness, I'm sorry about that, is the end of episode 10. Thank you very much for watching. Once again, my name is Michael Kirsting. That is Michael with a Y. I'm out for now. See you guys at episode 11. Thanks again for tuning in. Outro music, hit it.